0: The presenting sponsor of the Millennial Politics Podcast is Tomka Designs, a company that I personally support. Tomka was established by two aid workers and a fashion designer who were sick and tired of seeing Western brands exploiting the people and places where clothing is made. They literally traveled the world to dig deep into fashion manufacturing, visiting fabric mills and factories, and handpicking the most ethical partners before a single piece of clothing was made. The best part about Tomga is that, aside from being a positive impact business, their designs are stunning. If you're like me, you'll fall in love with their colorful prints and impossibly soft, eco-friendly fabrics. If you go to www.tomgadesigns.com, that's T-A-M-G-A designs, you can try it out for yourself. And if you use the discount code MP15, our friends at Tomga will give you 15%
1: off. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. my pronouns are she, her, hers, and today I'm joined by Marie Newman, anti-bullying advocate and Democratic candidate for Congress in Illinois' third. Thanks for coming on. Thank
0: you. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, we're glad to have you. So, for starters, could you tell us about your background and how it led you to a congressional campaign?
0: Sure. And I will tell you, uh, fair warning here, that it, it was a circuitous route and not linear. I have deep roots in the district. I was born here, live here now, understand the district well. But this was a long time in coming, but almost a convergence of things. I started out my career in the advertising and uh, marketing world, worked my way up to partner, was in management at a couple of smaller firms. And then I started my own firm for a wide variety of reasons, including because I had small children and it was just going to be easier for me to have my own business, which worked out fabulously. Uh, During that time, life takes, some right turns and some left turns, as it were. And uh, about nine and a half years ago, while I had spent most of my life either doing volunteer work or some form of activism around various rights, everything from March of Dimes over to United Way to many different uh, volunteer efforts, nine and a half years ago was the time when I actually did true grassroots organizing for the first time. And I frequently refer to that as the first time I really had to get up off the sidelines and take some risks. So um, at that time, my son, who's now a sophomore in college and doing fabulously, we found out that he had been traumatically bullied to the point of uh, hospitalization and therapy. And at that point, we realized as a family that this was not just his problem, but our whole family's issue um, because then at that time bullying was treated tremendously differently i mean the good news is we've come to a place where there's enough awareness around this topic that that it is better for kids in school but at that time it was still just a tremendous problem so at that point i realized after i started talking about it in the community wow it's an epidemic here this is a big problem and no one wants to solve this problem because there's no hero in that story right <laughs> you're not you're gonna make somebody mad regardless of where you go with this thing so uh, myself and a friend put together a coalition of almost a hundred families and we worked on it and developed an anti-bullying system for the the school system we were in I will tell you it was a very fulfilling uh, experience to bring a bunch of disparate folks and people and groups together. It it was great. At that point, um, the um, Illinois State Task Force that was working on bullying invited me to be a part of their best practices group. From there, I wrote a book. While I was on my book tour, I actually got a call from Sears Holdings and they asked me to partner with them to build a national nonprofit program called Team Up to Stop Bullying. And we did that. Participated in the White House summit on bullying, did several other things nationally around that. And then my next kind of get off the sidelines moment was around uh, gun violence. And at that point, it was uh, Moms Demand Action had been a couple years old. They were formed after uh, the Sandy Hook tragedy uh, five years ago. And They had asked me here in Illinois to be the spokesperson as well as a legislative uh, liaison. And so I worked on uh, rights advocacy for gun safety laws. Great experience. Simultaneous to that time, my daughter actually came out as transgender and so also was an advocate for uh, transgender adolescent rights as well as all rights. And I had done a lot of work in the LGBTQ community anyway. So this was kind of a natural evolution while my daughter's revolution was a wonderful thing and couldn't be more happy that she found her authenticity, it really did lead to um, this area where it was new to me that people would reject folks based on their gender status or their identity. The, the hate that is out there around that topic was alarming to me, which has really led to my advocacy around that. I, I became a, a panel member for um, her gender identity uh, program at Lurie Children's Hospital here in Chicago. All of those things had happened over the last probably decade, but before that, um, many people had asked me to to run for various offices, right? And I had thought about it um, over a few times, but it was never the right time for my family. Now it is. So a year and a quarter ago, it was clear that all of our rights were under attack, whether you were a, a worker, working family, uh, you were a woman, uh, women's right to choose clearly under attack, as well as LGBTQ rights. Healthcare for all rights were under attack. Everything was under attack. So with that, what I realized is that not only is this the right thing to do, our family's ready to go, we can do this. I need to look at this from a very thoughtful position. So a year and a quarter ago, I put together a data analysis that revealed that the district was not just ready for change, they were literally dying and starving for change because our current uh, member of Congress here, Congressman Lipinski was horrible on all rights. He was against uh, workers' rights he does not believe in a livable wage. He does not believe in a woman's right to choose. Even though our district, seven out of 10 folks in this district believe in pro-choice rights and a woman's right to choose, he does not. He's pro-life to the point where he does not believe in birth control, which was astonishing to me. While I had known he was bad on a lot of topics, I didn't realize the depth on every topic. And then if you take it all the way over to other issues, which are immigration rights, he did not support DACA. He does not believe in a clean dream act. He does not believe in a pathway to citizenship. And for me, all of that in its sum total was disqualifying. So when I started my candidacy, when I filed on April 1st, it was clear that I was in lockstep with the district and I was running this race with the district and he was running against the district. As we continued our meet and greet tour and started to ramp up the campaign, it was clear that everybody was with me. So we are in a really good position right now where this campaign is not just about everybody's rights, but it's about health care for all and working families. We're in a great position now. I feel honored and thrilled to be able to do this.
1: I'm glad you mentioned how voters in your district feel about his voting record, because polls show that when you tell Democratic primary voters in the 3rd about his conservative votes on issues like LGBTQ rights and reproductive freedom, they gravitate towards you, giving you a real chance of unseating Lipinski. But without knowledge of his voting record, polling shows him winning the primary in a landslide. It seems that your campaign really hinges on informing voters of the truth about Lipinski, but that's no easy task when you're running a grassroots campaign. Campaign against an established corporate incumbent. What is your strategy for making voters realize that Lipinski isn't the progressive Democrat they want?
0: It's multi layered. So, I I started, and I'm kind of an unconventional candidate in that I have not run for Congress before. I've never run for office before, so it starts there. I ran my campaign very differently. I have always balanced voter contact, which is super important at the grassroots level, with community meetings and my meet and greet tour, and then equal time with earned media. I've done a lot of interviews. And in the last 10 weeks, I am averaging two and three interviews a day. My goal was to make sure I touched all 40 communities in my district starting from day one, which was uh, January 1st is when I, of uh, 2017 is when I started my meet-greet tour. Every day have voter contact and every day be fundraising starting April 1st. That's how I've run my campaign. That is not conventional wisdom. Most politicians would be spending the first five or six months fundraising. I chose not to because there was no way to get to the level of awareness I have now. Right now, they have us in the tracking polls, the field tracking polls in a dead heat. I would have never gotten to that point. Um, with a grassroots campaign, had I not had equal time voter contact to fundraising. With that layer of grassroots and um, voter contact and the frequency and the volume of it, I added on a very strong digital campaign. Uh, We have been doing not just social media since my exploratory, which was almost a year ago, um, but we also have been doing digital advertising for about seven months Layering on top of that, um, starting next week, we have a very strong mail program, direct mail program. I have already bought TV, so we will have a cable TV program. And then on top of that, we're doing some kind of unconventional digital work um, that you typically don't see in a standard congressional race. What it's about is I have a tremendous amount of earned media, so press and media coverage um, layered with all of those, some conventional and some unconventional uh, methodologies. This is a really robust campaign that thinks about things differently. We have to. If you look at Doug Jones' campaign and some of the other campaigns where they've won through grassroots, the postcard system, folks from out-of-state phone banking for you, we are leveraging all of that. Um, Our ground program is magnificent. I will just tell you that right now. We have brilliant field strategists, and we have all of these groups helping us, everything from every group from Justice Democrats to the Progressive PACs um, helping us, NARAL, uh, MoveOn.org, PCCC, Democracy for America, Human Rights Campaign, they're all helping us in the ground. We have a very robust voter contact program, which is really what moves votes in this district.
1: Funnily enough, we actually spoke with Kaylee Hansen Long from NARAL and she mentioned your candidacy and spoke of you very highly. So on the topic of reproductive rights, could you tell us what your platform is?
0: Sure. So I obviously am proudly pro-choice. I believe in a woman's right to choose. I believe that we should all be thrilled to have Planned Parenthood in our lives. Mr. Lipinski has voted over 52 times to take away the rights of a woman to choose. He does not trust women and he doesn't trust families. And the reason I say that is in my platform, the reason that it's important to fund Planned Parenthood is twofold, is to continue to allow a woman's right to choose should she need to have an abortion and have the right to do that legally and safely. But she should also have the right to affordable health care, whether it is prenatal care or other health care. Planned Parenthood, even in my district, provides a tremendous, uh, over 100,000 women use Planned Parenthood on 700,000 folks in my district. So to take that away is ridiculous. And that's what Mr. Lipinski wants to do. So in my platform, it's not just about protecting a woman's right to choose, but it is also protecting all of women's health care. I say what NAREL says, trust women and trust families. (laughs) Building out Um, women's healthcare as a platform is is critically important to my campaign.
1: So going deeper into Dan Lipinski's deeply problematic views on civil rights, on January 22nd, Lipinski voted to reopen the government without any deal regarding DACA and DREAMers. Would you have voted against the January 22nd CR? And what would you do if you were in his position to advocate for DREAMers in the face of the far-right GOP agenda?
0: First and foremost, I didn't have to think about um, being supportive of immigrants. Mr. Lipinski, just now, because he's being primaried in the last six weeks, has decided to, quote unquote, consider the DREAM Act. He didn't necessarily say he would vote, he would consider. In 2014, he voted against DACA. He is not a ongoing, committed supporter of immigrants' rights. I am. I didn't have to think about it. This is a moral issue for me. I was always on the side of immigrants, always for path to citizenship. So obviously, I support the DREAM Act without, without condition. With regard to the negotiations around the shutdown, I think I would have pushed to keep DACA inside the negotiation instead of doing this three-week extension and a commitment to re- to discuss it again. I don't think that was the best. But here's what I will tell you. I was not in the room. Mr. Lipinski knows a lot more about those negotiations than I do. I believe that we should have pushed and made sure that DACA was done before we agreed to this.
1: Now, shifting to LGBTQ equality, recently GLAAD released a survey revealing that for the first time in four years, acceptance of the LGBT community has gone down in the United States. While many are blaming the Trump administration, I think it's important to recognize how both Democrats and Republicans are complicit as well. Republicans of course are quite openly anti-LGBTQ, and Trump is just a part of that. But Democrats have refused to take a stand as the party of LGBTQ equality, as demonstrated by the fact that anti-LGBTQ bigots like Dan Lipinski are among their ranks and supported by the. Establishment. As violence against LGBTQ individuals skyrockets in the United States, how do you respond to the Democratic Party's inclusion of anti-LGBTQ bigots, and what would you do as a member of Congress to advocate for the LGBTQ community?
0: So, because I've been endorsed by uh, the human rights campaign, I've had lots of discussions about how I would fight Tirelessly for the LGBTQ community. So obviously, I have personal interest in this. My daughter is trans, and I am a huge proponent. And I've been an advocate before I ever thought about running for Congress, and been a, been a panel member for many organizations. What I would look at is all of these things that have been uh, rolled back from executive orders on down. I would fight to get those back and reinstated, and then. Uh, working towards all equality in the workplace. I think this is this is a continuing problem. It's not just a women's rights issue, it's LGBTQ rights and on and, de- and actually disability rights too. So when I talk about LGBTQ rights I often talk about everybody's rights because in the workplace, there are many ways in which you can still discriminate against LGBTQ folks. So equality is not there yet. We do have marriage equality, although, you know, still a challenge um, in the execution thereof. But we do not have equality in the workplace. So I would fight for laws that would support equality in the workplace as a, as a starting point beyond the basics of um, getting some of the executive orders back in place.
1: Another recent vote of Dan Lipinski's was to continue to allow intelligence officials to invade the privacy of American citizens through the FISA Act. Would you have voted the same way? And what are your positions on the controversial issue? of privacy versus national security.
0: So I think we can achieve national security without becoming an internal spy organization on our our citizens. Originally, when the Patriot Act was put through, wasn't thrilled with it, but there were components of it that when, when necessary, when you have been identified as a terrorist and you are a criminal, I think it's okay to spy on you. (laughs) <laughs> but if you are not a terrorist and a criminal, there is no need to be spying on everyday citizens. There just isn't. And there's no need for profiling. And there's no place in America for profiling or um, discriminating against folks. So for me, you know, as much as I, I don't think I can ever be, sh- I'm never shocked with um, Lipinski, I was even shocked when he voted for the FISA peace. That was surprising to me. I, I didn't think he was that extreme, but he is.
1: So, elaborating on national security and terrorism, reports over the past few years have shown the increasing threat of white supremacist violence in the United States, and it seems that it is only increasing. What would you do to help advocate for communities of color and fight the epidemic of white supremacist violence as it continues to rise, likely without any help from the White House?
0: One of the things I think that we've lost sight of in this country is bringing people together via coalition building. As long as the Trump-Pence administration is in the White House, we won't be doing coalition building. We'll be dividing constantly. We've got to stop listening to those folks that want to continue to divide us. So some of the things that I would look at is fighting vehemently to get folks out of the House and the Senate that divisive. Help vote out those folks that are uh, divisive and supportive of of Trump's horrible perspectives as a starting point. Getting a strong voting and expanding the the right to vote and being able to sign up to vote wherever you can, whether you are uh, virtually signing up or in any location, through your phone, uh, whatever it might be. We should have more people voting, not less. We have gotten to this place where, unfortunately, that we're so entrenched in our groups that, gosh, if you are part of um, Black Lives Matter then somehow people will say, well, then you're racist against all of the other racists. Well, that's totally not true and obvious to you and I. However, we have to start having broader conversations that just because you support Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that you don't support other groups. You, you can support many groups at once. We are complex human beings that can be very supportive of many groups at once. And you know what? There are specific groups that need more help than others. And it is clear that black and brown folks get treated horribly in both our, not just our immigration systems, but in our criminal justice systems, in our um, employment systems, and a wide variety of things. And because some of them might need more support than other doesn't mean that you're not supporting all groups and all Americans. It is okay to help certain groups that are being mistreated and not supported. It doesn't mean that you're discriminating against the rest of the world.
1: I very much agree with your point that part of the solution to the problems we're discussing is fundamentally changing the composition of Congress. But that's something that is, of course, difficult to do with the incumbency advantage and the fact that the parties tend not to want challengers who want to bring real change. How do we combat this? And how do we establish in the Democratic Party that bigotry is not an acceptable position?
0: I look at my own race. We have a bigot, in our congressional seat right now. And I think it is both unprecedented and historical that two sitting members of Congress, Jan Schakowsky and Luis Gutierrez stood up and said, no more. He is not allowed here. We are going to reveal him. And I think Jan Schakowsky said it beautifully in the press conference we had about a week ago when they endorsed me in DC. She said, this is not personal. His values and his principles do not represent the Democratic Party. They do not. This is just a natural extension. All members of Congress should stand up like Luis Gutierrez and Jan Schakowsky did. All of them should stand up and say, if there's a member of Congress in your delegation or in Congress overall that you don't think are representing the values of the party, then by definition, that's disqualifying. And we should all stand up. And I will tell you, if I am elected, I will be happy to stand up and say, you know what, if you can't support our values as Democrats, then you really don't have business in this party.
1: So, lastly, how can folks get involved in your campaign and where can they find you online?
0: Thank you for asking. And there's a bunch of ways. You can start with marienewmanforcongress.com, all spelled out, no spaces. marienewmanforcongress.com. I'm easy to find on Facebook and we have a very robust and, and very spirited Facebook page. Uh, Twitter, same. It's Marie for Congress's Twitter handle. We would love to have your help. So, please, if you want to donate, you can go to my website. If you want to volunteer, you can contact and sign up on the website, marineumanforcongress.com but also reach out on Facebook too. We're glad to hear from you from anywhere. So uh, by all means, uh, jump on board. We need everybody's help.
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really glad to see you running. A lot of folks kind of indiscriminately are supporting Democrats this year and not being conscious of the values that they want to recognize in what's likely to be a blue wave in 2018. And it's good to see someone really standing up for what they believe and what's good for all Americans, not just those in power. So thank you for that. And thank you for coming on.
0: And thank you for what your broadcast does. I, I couldn't be more pleased that um you all are having the thoughtful conversation. So thank you for your work. And thank you for having me today.
1: Yeah, we appreciate it. Again, this is Marie Newman, Democratic candidate for Illinois' third congressional district. And I'm Jordan Valerie, editor in chief of Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.